Hey Swapistas, it's Marisol, the CFO of Swap. How's everyone maintaining? Are you all enjoying these stories from Swapistas? Do they bring back any memories? I hope so. Today, we're bringing you another pair of Swapistas who have been around for much of the history of Swap, Michael Leon Guerrero and Franklin Gauna. I remember the first time I worked with Franklin. I had just started my official job with Swap. It was 2009. I worked with Franklin and Joaquin Lujan to landscape the front offices of Swap with tire flower beds. We worked really hard, but we also connected through stories and laughter. Michael was Franklin's supervisor as a youth intern, and Michael also served as the director of Swap, among many other things. These two guys have many special stories from our movimiento, so I'm sure it was hard for them to choose which ones to share. But okay, let's put some water on the stove and go get yourself a sweet treat so you can settle in and enjoy these stories from Michael and Franklin. Hi everyone, my name is Franklin Gauna. I started with the organization as a, as a baby when the organization was just starting to um, come about. I uh, remember going to these meetings in this really big place and my mother would put my bassinet under the table as they were planning um, certain meetings. So that's what I remember from secondhand um, history. Uh, Michael. Oh, I'm here with Michael Guerrero today. He was uh, one of the co-directors of the organization in the early 90s. Hey, everybody. Uh, I'm Michael Leon Guerrero. And uh, yeah, um, my Community organizing work uh, started with SWAT back in 1987. Just come out of uh, California and went through an internship program with the Center for Third World Organizing out of Oakland, California. And uh, my placement was at SWAP back then. So I was actually the first youth intern for the Southwest Organizing Project. Uh, eventually became a field organizer right at the time when SWAP was uh, deeply involved in building uh, the environmental justice movement in the Southwest and around the country. And then ultimately I was a co-director with uh, Gene Gauna and executive director of the organization uh, by the time I left 17 years later. And in 2002, I started doing uh, work in national alliance building, first with the Grassroots Global Justice Alliance and then uh, later with the Climate Justice Alliance in 2014. And, uh, and currently today, I'm working with the Labor Network for Sustainability, uh, working on building bridges between the uh, labor, climate justice, and environmental movements back here in Albuquerque after uh, about 10 years back in California, and, uh, and it's good to be back. So uh, Franklin, it's been a while. It's great to hear your voice again. Uh, great to sit down with you and talk about SWAP and SWAP history. So uh, my first question for you is, did you find SWAP or did SWAP find you? Uh, Swap found me, Michael, um, with the um, uh, the introduction of the Jovenes Unidos uh, youth program that was based around music and uh, dancing. We were actually one of the first musical acts of what now is the Chili Harvest Festival. What about you, Michael? Oh, I'd say Swap definitely found me. Uh, you know what? Actually, it was kind of both. I was uh, when I went through this program. Uh, by the Center for Third World Organizing. It was an organizer training program for people of color. 
and they would place us in different organizations or unions around the country. There are about 30 of us in the program, and I think there were a list of 17 potential sites where we could go. You know, and most people were picking like New York or Miami or, or you know, places like that. I think I might have been the only person or one of two of us that put Albuquerque, New Mexico down on our, our top three choices. And uh, most people didn't get the site that they wanted, but, uh, but I did. And from there, it was just kind of uh, almost divine intervention because I, I just knew right away I was at the right place and um, was very excited and uh, energized by the organization. And then they brought me back for a fellowship for a year. And by the time uh, that finished, I was uh, on staff full time. So I think it was a combination of things, but I think we, you could say we probably found each other. The Communication Workers of America, CWA, represents 70,000 workers across the United States in the public and private sector. We represent workers in the private sector from CenturyLink to Verizon and other telecom businesses at the public sector at universities, public hospitals, and other public institutions. We also represent workers in nonprofit organizations like at the Southwest Organizing Project. We continue to advocate and fight to protect workers at their job sites and to ensure that all workers are paid a living wage and have good benefits for themselves and their families. CWA has been in the forefront in Congress in support of the Right to Organize Act of 2019. This historic bill, which amends and strengthens the National Labor Relations Act, will represent our rights to organize at job sites. This bill was just approved by the U.S. House of Representatives and now goes to the U.S. Senate. CWA has been in the forefront in Congress in support of the Right to Organize Act of 2019. Michael, what is the craziest story um, that you're a uh, swap story that you're willing to share. Oh boy. Yeah, there are, there are many and uh, there are many I probably shouldn't share, but uh, all good, uh, all really wonderful experiences. There's one that really sticks with me a lot. Um, that was uh, back when we were uh, fighting um, the, uh, I believe it was Numex Corporation in Southern New Mexico, where they'd built this, um, has, it, wasn't, it wasn't a hazard waste dump, but it was a big landfill that was, literally right on the border with Mexico in Sunland Park. And um, they also had a medical waste incinerator. I mean, if you want to call it that, because I mean, the thing was just uh, pretty much uh, like a backyard, just chimney where they would take hospital waste from throughout the state um, everywhere. I think the only hospital that didn't contribute to it was uh, the veterans hospital and, um, and also in parts of Texas. And so, you know, this is a, a Mexicano community, working class community. They would have these trucks going through this uh, town all day long on their waste, way to the wa medical waste incinerator and also to the dump. And, um, you know, there were just horror stories, you know, body parts, syringes that were falling out into the streets, and then they would go burn it in this incinerator. Well, it turns out that the landfill and the incinerator were up for uh, permitting. And... Um, I mean, we had, uh, you know, I went down there. I was invited uh, by Antonio Maestas at the time, um, who was working with the, um, the Diocese of Las Cruces. And they had an organizing campaign and a really terrific leadership body from uh, the residents down there in Sunland Park. And these hearings were just the most amazing thing. I mean, hundreds of people turned out to the first hearing that I went to. And, uh, you know, maybe 750 people went to that hearing and it got very raucous. They had to bring in the, the state police to kind of separate the crowd from, uh, you know, the folks from the state and from the company. 
Oh, I, I said Antonio Maestas. It was Antonio Lujan, excuse me, who became, later became a state legislator. Antonio Maestas, who was also a state legislator at the time, was actually representing the company. And so, and he was from Sunland Park, so it didn't make people feel good uh, from the community. But anyway, at one point during the hearings, and, and these hearings went on for about two weeks, and 100 people would turn out in the stands at the school to uh, listen to these proceedings that were very technical. You know, they had chemists and all these kind of technical experts giving testimony, um, and they had an interpreter that was there the whole time. And, you know, throughout the day, hours of testimony, work days, et cetera, there were 100, uh, about 100 people there listening to the proceedings the whole time. Well, we were also at that time, SWAP was involved in dealing with some of the big uh, environmental organizations around, um, you know, the fact that they were not supporting uh, people of color issues. And in fact, a lot of times their policies were in conflict with communities of color. And uh, Peter Behuth had just become the executive director of Greenpeace uh, USA. And one of the things that we did was we took him on a plane tour around the state. We did an environmental justice tour in a small four-person plane and took him to all these different sites around the state. And one of those was Sunland Park. So we landed there and we drove to the gates of the, uh, the, where the incinerator and the dump were. And we had this uh, reporter with us, Valerie Tallman. She was a, uh, a freelance writer of uh, Navajo. And um, she was taking pictures. And at one moment, all of a sudden, this big plume of black smoke just pours out of the incinerator. And she turned around and clicked right away, got a number of pictures. Well, during the hearing, and I'll never forget this. I was uh, with Francisco Vina, um, you know, one of the young people in the community. And he was, you know, we were kind of running errands in support of um, our team and the hearings. And, uh, and Francisco, by the way, later went to UNM at the, to the School of uh, Community and Regional Planning. But anyway, at this time, he was a young kid, you know, teenager. And we went to go pick up the photos that just got developed and took them while the hearings were going on. And, and we arrived with the photos right when this chemist was cross-examining like the expert witness for the, the corporation. And this guy had like pages of credentials, worked for, all, for NASA and all these presidential administrations. I mean, impeccable credentials. And uh, we gave that photo to the chemist who was cross-examining this guy. And, you know, at one point, very calmly, he says, I just want to show you this photo. He says, you see that plume of black smoke coming from that incinerator? If that smoke gets out in the community, do you think that would have health effects, you know, for the people in the community? And the guy paused and he said, yeah, it would. Fernando Macias um, was the attorney representing the company, literally is chewing on his tie. So upset because now he, we just turned his witness against, against him. So he gets up and tries to cross-examine his own witness and says, how can you say just in a, a snapshot taken in a second to see that this one photo that that's going to determine whether or not there's going to be health effects and the guy said i've been doing this for years and looking at that photo i, I can't can't lie that is going to have health effects if that gets out in the community well needless to say um we won that battle and the incinerator was shut down by judy espinosa who at the time was a secretary uh, new mexico secretary of the environment and uh, on Martin Luther King's birthday, issued an order shutting down that incinerator and then put all these restrictions on the on the landfill as well. But it was uh, that whole experience was just one of the 
the best organizing experiences I've been through because of, um, you know, just a, one, just the community and just the amazing people in the community and how, and how they really fought on an issue like this. And then um, we had uh, just some great moments like that where, um, you know, where everybody got a chance to celebrate and, and we don't get many of those kind of victories, but it was great to get that one. Awesome. Yeah. That's a great yeah. story. So uh, what about you, Franklin? What, uh, what's the craziest swap story you're willing to share? Well, there, there's a lot. Um, uh, the craziest story, I think, uh, would be that because we were the first um, youth organizers that SWAP ever had, and that was because we grew up uh, with the organization and we were getting a little bit old, you know, older and we weren't as cute. So, um, so Jean didn't really know what to do. So what she did was she um, started to get some things in the community about young youth and what they were beginning to deal with as teenagers, 14-ish and on. And so she came up with this idea that she could uh, grow the organization uh, with youth um, and start developing youth through youth organizing and taking situations that they had and having kind of a face to a new generation of organizing. Uh, one of uh, the first campaigns I believe we worked on was uh, a mall campaign that uh, one of her uh youth organizers came uh, came with her with. And the thing about Jean that I loved was that she let us lead. Mm -hmm. She did not lead us, which sometimes was difficult. But I remember one of the youth going into her office uh, by the name of uh, Fernando Abeta. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, Jean, I'm having some, some issues. And you know, she had a very quick way about her and she would say, okay, I understand that you're having issues that are affecting you, but unless you give me more information about that, I, I can't go about it. So you're going to have to figure out what you'd like to do about that. Mm. And he said, well, you know, she was a lot, she was like, sit down and, and let me kind of help you think this through. And so he would say things like, well, I was with, you know, five of my buddies at the mall and they took us and they separated us. And she said, well, I need more information. She was always about getting information from the youth through the youth. She wasn't going to go in and kind of micromanage us. So he did that. He went and he got information and then he would come back with it. And he said, well, you know, they were following us. It was just, and, you know, so she would say, well, were they, were they white or were they uh, kids of color? And he said, no, they were all of color. Mm -hmm. And so uh, then she would pass on the information to you. And then she would have her co-director that she was working with and other people in the organization kind of decipher it in an adult type of way, and then go back to Fernando and myself and um, Lolita Royval at the time, 
And we would come together as two, almost two generations to try to fix this problem. And this was right in the, uh, the middle of your, um, you know, we were working with Intel. Mm -hmm. You guys were working with Intel at that time and we had already shifted to the mall campaign mm -hmm. and that was one of the first um youth campaigns was the mall campaign that i can remember w with with the staff meetings and things like that that the interns had to go through um we began to brainstorm on how we could use that particular idea of the money so we made paper money and we brought it into the um, the mall, and we would give these paper bills to the um, to to the cashiers, and we would say, "Oh wait, we wanted this item, but we are not going to take this item because your policies and procedures do not are, are not for us, and we're going to start a boycott." So that's how we, and uh, that's how we began that campaign. And, you know, it's interesting to me because when a whole bunch of 17-year-olds in the middle of summer are yelling and screaming outside the mall, people mm -hmm. pay attention and they pay attention quickly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was it was quite fun. <laughs> um, yeah. But we were very upset because we weren't going to the mall because <laughs> <laughs> they were losing money. Exactly. Yeah. It's, especially in the summer, they know where their money's coming from. So that was a great. Right. So, yeah. So that was the craziest story that I'm willing to share. That's great. So, so we're going to do all fast now. Yeah, we could do all fast. Um, so what is your favorite place that swap is taking you? Oh man. Uh, God, uh, uh, so many places. So, I mean, Richard and I toured like the Southwest in the early days of the environmental justice movement. So going to places like West Dallas and South Tucson and uh, East Austin and meeting all the folks that were for the first time that were dealing with these environmental justice issues around the Southwest. Those were some of the favorite places that I've been to and just meeting all the people there. Franklin, for you, what is SWAP superpower? Oh, wow. That is different uh, than it was in the early 90s. Um, because we're a different organization, um, we're not scraping as much as we were back then. Mm. So, and I mean, when you have Gene Gauna as your, uh, one of your co-directors, she had this interesting way of being terrifying, <laughs> but with heart and love for what she was doing. Mm -hmm. which means she could get public officials to do the craziest things. Mm -hmm. You know, she'd be on the phone saying, I need you to do this. And they'd be like, Oh no, not, no, we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> and because the organization was smaller, she needed results and she was going to get them. And she did. And very quickly. So mm -hmm. that's one of the, the great, great things about her leadership mm. that that I enjoyed. Also, she was able to develop the youth quickly because of her experience. And she just had good co-director by her side, so that helped. <laughs> um, and 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 you were just really 
you you both were really great at developing um, our young minds and um, they don't appreciate it now, but <laughs> but they did then. And um, and so that's what I, I enjoy about that. Yeah. So I think swap superpower is getting results in a way that is hard hitting without being rude or or mean. So um, what about you, Michael? Who is someone from swap that you will never forget? Oh, boy. Another one. So many. Um, I mean, definitely Gene and um, and Richard Moore of. You know, meant a lot to me. I'm going to name one other person, though, that um, has always stuck with me, and that's uh, Maria Chavez. And, uh, you know, SWAP to me has been an organization that's been really good about um, bringing together and developing what I like to call fierce and humble warriors. And Maria really embodied that to me. You know, she was a, a victim of toxic poisoning in the GTE Lankert plant, you know, so was dealing with severe health issues from the, throughout the time that I knew her. And um, she co-founded an organization called the Toxic Victims Assistance Corporation, which was an organization of victims that had been poisoned in, uh, you know, the high-tech factories in uh, New Mexico. And there were many of them. And so she was a leader in that organization and then ultimately became uh, one of the uh, board of directors, members of the board of directors of, uh, of SWAP. And Maria was just always there. I mean, didn't matter how she was feeling that day. You know, if there was a meeting of some kind and it didn't have to do with just the issues she was battling, any issue that uh, involved the organization, uh, she was going to be there uh, for you. So, you know, just that level of commitment and spirit that she had. And she always just brightened up a room when she showed up. And so so she's one of the folks uh, to me I, I was really proud to work with uh, among many. Um, and I can name a lot of them, including the person that I'm doing this interview with. So uh, but anyway, yeah. Okay. And what about you, Franklin? Uh, who is someone from SWAP you'll never forget? Oh, I think that's a trick question, Mike. Um, but the the person from SWAP I think that I will never forget is um, my cousin, Carlos Schmieder. He, had a, he has a way of leading and developing in a way that is something new. Mm. It's not... You know, it's not, uh, you know, about about Gene. It's it's more. He gets he gets that foundation from, I, I think his uh, his mom, but then he changes it to then help younger folks like myself or you know Fernando Abeta or even you know Lucia Lolita. Royval and also uh, Rosina, mm. and he has a kind of calm demeanor about him that I've always um, admired. I think for me, he's someone in SWAP that I will never forget. But mm. there's so many for me, mm. uh, depending on what um, part of my life that I'm in. Um, so that's kind of a really tough question to to answer. But I, I think I got it. Yeah, yeah. I know we're supposed to be all fast, but, you know, uh, Carlos, for me, very creative mind. And um, I used to consider him my news, right, because he was our media organizer for a while. And I, I would show up like about 830 in the morning at the office, uh, oftentimes the first person there. 
And when Carlos would come in, it would be, I would, I, I never had to watch the news. He was like, this is what the headlines are on CNN today. Here's what, you know, such and such newspaper is saying. Here's what the journal is saying. So it's just like, I got the download on what was happening in the world, you know, in the first 15 minutes when Carlos got into the office. So I, I'd always remember that. We're going to wrap it up here for our seventh episode of Swap's 40th anniversary podcast is produced by Monica Brain and Marisol Archuleta. Yeah, we also want to give thanks to Antonio Maestas, uh, whose name I misused many times, <laughs> for the original music, uh, Mikhail Gray for the logo design. Also, our sponsors for this episode were the Communications Workers of America, Local 7011. And the biggest shout out goes to all the swapistas out there fighting for justice. Hasta la victoria siempre. Celebrating our 40th birthday anniversary celebration with us by becoming a monthly sustainer of swap. $10 a month means $120 a year. And in these COVID times, your donation will go towards building a feminist economy swapistas like you have been dreaming about visit our website at swap.net and click on the donate button take it easy swapistas until next time communication workers of america local 7011 congratulates the southwest organizing project on your 40th anniversary of working to empower communities in new mexico we are very pleased that SWAP chose to affiliate with CWA in 2013, when you chose to unionize and join the National Labor Movement for Workers' Rights. We know that many of your members have been active supporters of labor in New Mexico since the UFWA Great Boycott, the Coors Boycott, fighting right-to-work laws at the state legislature, and joining our members in demonstrating against Verizon and Albuquerque in 2016 at their stakeholders' meeting and a number of your members were arrested with other union members. We look forward to many years of community labor work together. One, two, three. Hey, hey, ho, ho, corporate greed has got to go. We're Yay! Dying.